You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hello, Michelle. How are you? Hey, Glenn. How you doing? I'm doing very well indeed. This is Glenn Lowry. This is the Glenn Show, bloggingheads.tv. And I'm with Michelle Kerr, who is a high school math teacher in uh, the Bay Area of, San- of California and has been a guest on the show before, talking about uh, various things having to do with education. Uh, so welcome back, Michelle. No, thanks. Um, uh, we, we, the last time we talked was, I think it was early April or late yeah. March. The shutdown had just happened. Yes. And uh, you were very interesting in relating, and from your experience and observation, uh, how uh, the kids in your district were dealing with the different challenges and the teachers were dealing with the different challenges. So here we are now. Uh, we're talking, this probably won't air until sometime in August. And uh, people are thinking about the new year, school year starting, and that has just engendered such a terrible set of conflicts as I just read the newspaper and listen to what people are saying. So I was just very interested to get your perspective on, you know, are you guys going back? How, you know, how do you feel about it? There, who's on what side of the debate about going back? Is it political? What about safety? Uh, the kids, you know, a lot of things like that. Well, first off in the Bay Area, in California, New- Governor Newsom has largely forbidden schools in most counties to open. So uh, at, at our, now it's, I'm pretty sure that my particular area, which is my, where I live is San Mateo County. And I think San Mateo County is able to make its choice where I teach, which is Alameda County. Alameda County is on the ban list. So, so in our case, the governor has flatly banned schools from opening. Um, I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah. At this point, you can't. No hybrid, no, no hybrid. No, no in-person learning at all. Schools are closed until you get your virus transmission below a certain point. Um, so first, let me let me explain my and I, I'm probably out on the fringe on this, but let's be clear. I didn't think the schools should close in March. I was against it. Nothing I've seen has changed my mind. I think they should have opened for summer school, and I think they should open in the in the fall. So I mean, I'm th- that that's my position, and I'm well aware that unions by and large, disagree with me. And I think I predicted that in our last call, that the unions would be uh, demanding remote instruction, which they are. What I get bothered by somewhat are the, and here's why I get bothered by it, just to be clear. I get bothered by it not because I defend unions. I always tell this story to, to let you know where I am on unions. Last year, I got banned from my union Facebook page. Well, no, I got suspended, and then I was like, to heck with it. And it was because one of the union representatives from our, our district came on and she went to the conference last year and she was like, we did all these great things. We voted against Trump putting kids in cages at the border. And we, we, we voted in favor of reparations and we voted in favor of teachers not being allowed to tell their students to speak English. And we, we voted in favor of, uh, you know, fewer charters. And I said, did you vote in favor of getting us more money? You know, cause it's like, you know, what the, what's the, is this crap? I don't oh, care okay. about this crap. Let me, and let me stop on. you for a minute, Michelle. Let, okay. let me stop you for a minute. Okay. Cause you're talking about unions, but the first thing we were talking about was closings. No, I'm getting back make... to schools. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah get but, back but I, I just, I just want to, why were you against closing in the first place? Okay. I, because, um, I don't think this is a, severe enough for children to close the schools. 
It's that and what about what about teachers and, and what about kids taking stuff home? Well, the the teachers taking stuff home, the kids taking stuff home, is not a reason to close the schools. By which I mean it is a it is it is it is looking at, for example, there's many kids who aren't taking stuff home, right? So if they're if they're not taking stuff home, those kids would be okay. So what I'm saying is is it's it's kind of privileging the needs outside of school. And the reason we do we teach school, the reason we have public school is for the betterment of children. So in my view, when you when you close schools in favor not of keeping kids safe, but of keeping the community safe, you are privileging the community over schools. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying that in my view, schools should be pushing back against that which is actually similar to why I was yelling at the, the union people last year, although I didn't. It, it, I got no, banned I, I, because of something else. I'm, but I'm, my point is, is that is it, we're about school. I, That's I like our this. job. I, I like this. This is very interesting. Okay. No, so, I mean, so you're, saying, point, you're saying don't use the kids. Don't use the kids as an instrument of some other purpose. Uh, because it's not their safety that's really being uh, put at risk if you have them go back to school. But the, the uh, epidemiologists are going to say we're trying to control a pandemic. Transmission is the issue. And even though the kids are just a link in the chain and may not, may not themselves end up on a ventilator, still, I'm trying, this is a social problem. This is, you know, so, yeah, yes. in effect, the, the, you'd have to acknowledge we are recruiting the kids, but then you'd have to make the argument that the social good is more, fav- you know, that that's a price that the kids are unfortunately going to have to be asked to pay. Well, that is, that is the, that's the, that's the opposite argument. I mean, and, and I mean, I think these are, and if, by the way, if you look at our society, we're roughly split. So, but, but, but let me just ask you this. I'm sorry to be no, rude okay. because I think this is a rude question. If the issue is the kids, how can you be for the union? If the issue, if your philosophy is education is about the kids, don't use them as instruments for some other social end. How can an employee union be justified? If the, if the starting point is the kids are the bottom line, that's all that really matters. Because the very definition of representation in a collective bargaining relationship is the interest divide. They're, they're not common interests. The interest of the employees being represented by the union can't be assumed. Otherwise, there would be no need for the union to be the same as the interest of, of, the, of the other party. So do you see what I'm asking? No, I do. Um, well, first off, uh, yeah, I'm basically paying my union dues because they they pay my um. They're, they're, I feel it's fair since they negotiate me raises to give them money. That's the only thing I give my unions money for. However, the larger point of the union, if you want to debate that, um, I would say that uh, th- what should happen is that the unions say, "Look, this is what we believe in best interests of the teachers," and or and and then. The this, this, this school district and the governor, who I believe is really responsible for all this, is the governor, okay, should say, no, the school should open or no, the school should close, okay, and or, or whatever the other thing is. If you say it's in the best interest of the children, I mean, fundamentally, let me put it this way. Suppose this is why there were strikes in last year in states that didn't have unions or strong unions in all West Virginia, Kentucky. At a certain point, if you don't, keep the teachers happy, you won't have schools to keep this. I mean, you won't have, you won't have employees to keep the schools open. So that's your tension. Okay. Um, and by and large, 
those, te- you know, when people say that teachers are only in favor of, of, of what's best for them, I, I think there would be a lot more strikes if that were true. It's fairly hard to get a strike call. So I don't think this tension comes in play often. What, what conservatives, to use an example, what they tend to do is say that unions are in favor of, um, that, that unions use their political power and politicians are afraid of them. I don't see any evidence that's true. I, it's the past 20 years or 16 years, really, two presidents, um, Bush and Obama, had virtually identical uh, education policies. Okay, there's actually a book, Rick Hess wrote, a, Frederick Hess wrote a book about the fact that ironically, one was a Democrat, one was a Republican. And yet for from 2001 to 2016, which were the years of no child left behind, race to the top, um, common okay. core, all of those were opposed by unions. Right. Okay, okay, okay. So the unions are uh, agreeing with Governor Newsom that the schools should not open, and you disagree with them. Is, is, do I have that correct? Not only are do people, I disagree. Are, are teachers yeah. getting paid? Yeah, is we're getting paid. getting paid. Yeah, we're also working. Keep in mind, we're working. Okay, I mean, we worked last year. Uh, we One of the problems last year, and this is going to be interesting to see moving forward, is last year there was something called, in almost every state, called Hold Harmless. And what hold harmless clause did was said basically teachers cannot give a lower grade than the grade the student had when the school year ended. Okay. Well, at that point, the minute kids found out about that, they disappeared. So I was starting when I taught, I had 90% of my students all the way through summer break, uh, spring break. Then from spring break to uh, Memorial Day, I had about 80% of my students. You could tell the minute the kids found out that they were going to get a passing grade no matter what, because okay. boom, for the last few weeks but, but, of school, but, we had it. But, okay, so teachers are continuing to get paid. You say they're continuing to work, and students are continuing, quote-unquote, continuing to learn. Right. But but are they really? I mean, I, I don't mean I don't, I don't no, mean no, to I, accuse I, anybody I, of anything. I'm just saying, how do we know? You, look, what, what's happening? What, what, what's the accountability What's going to be the measure of whether or not a good day's work was put in or somebody basically just kind of blew it off? Uh, they say they're going to do – first off, you're putting me in the position of defending something that I oppose, okay, just to be clear. I think we should be opening, okay? Um, I am and, – and if you're any teachers out there listening, you're going to get mad at me, but I am utterly appalled when I see teachers quoted in the newspaper with apparent approval by the media – saying stuff like, look, I'm not a daycare provider. I've got a master's in education. I need to be safe. Or I'm not going back to school if it costs me my life. You know, I'm like, I'm appalled, okay? I really am because it's not that I think teachers should die. It's that I think that teachers should say, you know, I'm ready to risk it, and if I'm not ready to risk it, go do something else. how How big is the risk? Do we know anything about that? How many teachers have gotten sick and died? Very few. Uh, in fact, well, the problem is, is that they're going to argue that the shutdown ended it. But um, I actually did this because I was arguing with another teacher about it. Uh, Education Week, the magazine, has a list of um, everybody who is uh, uh, every teacher, ed- every educator. By the way, be careful the word educator. Every educator who has um, died from uh, COVID-19 since it began. And they had, I believe it was three, last I checked, it was in the 300s. Okay. Something like 40% of them were retired, had been retired. They were, you know, 70 or older of the actual working teachers, not, 
um, cafeteria workers, not administrators, everything else. I think the number was something like 15%. Okay, so 15% of 300 is a very, what is that? 30, 40 teachers. That's it. Almost all of them in New York. The vast majority of them, when I looked up, they had complicating factors. You know, they You're had, a math they were, teacher. We've got to tell people it's 45. we got to be precise. 15% oh, of 300 is well, 45. <laughs> it, it is, but it was over 300. By the way, just for record, I'm an English major. I only got into math because I was good at explaining it. Um, but uh, but, uh, but well, well, my hold point on, is, hold on. is it no. Here, here's the question I want to ask. So there's a, so this, a lot of people are saying this. I'm uh, putting my life at risk. If they're doing anything that causes them to interact with the public at all, if they're not able to yeah. work from their uh, armchair, then they're putting themselves at risk. And I just think that's too easy to say. I see that a healthcare worker in, excuse me, in a hospital who's caring for people is putting themselves at risk. I see that someone who might be an attendant in a nursing home somewhere where there might be an outbreak would be putting themselves at risk. I don't assume that a person who walks into a classroom with 30 kids is putting themselves at any measurable, objectively, uh, you know, a frightening risk of getting sick. I, I yeah. doubt seriously that that risk is any more than point zero 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 one. Again, so, you're not. You're, so we shouldn't let them get away with it. We, we shouldn't let them cast themselves as a as a victim. Now, now let me say this part. And 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 by the way, I, I you've been. And I'm not complaining. You've been interrupting me. I'm easy to get off focus. So so let me say this part. Okay, so I'll, I, I will not interrupt right. this part. Okay. Well, and I'm not, it's just because I want to make sure that I say this properly, because this is, no this problem. is, you know, when I'm getting into criticizing other people. Okay. So the reason I began is, is, is as I said at the beginning, what bothered me was everybody who's mad about schools closing is saying unions are doing it. What I'm trying to say is no, that's not who's doing it. Okay. And the reason I know this is first off, because governors almost universally ordered schools shut. Okay. There are very few governors who ordered schools open, right? In fact, most of them, what they do is say, we are ordering them open, but you districts have to make up your mind. So that puts the decision from the person in authority. And by the way, as I said, most districts did not have the choice to close, but they have the choice to open. So then the districts go to two things, which is they surveyed pretty much every district you saw. And you can Google this. They surveyed it. And we're talking not the USA Today of yeah, USA Today and AEI, they did polls of like 500 parents. I'm like, like this is 18,000 parents in a district or, or you know, 9,000 parents. Big numbers, right? Okay. By and large, the it was ahead for parents who wanted schools to open, like 60 to 40, 55 to 45, somewhere around there. It was not 90-10. Okay, now, so you're a district. Oh, by the way, teachers also roughly split. For all the talk they own, I mean, New York Times – ran an op-ed by a teacher who said something like, I don't want to die, okay? I haven't heard I of the New York Times opening an op-ed saying, you know, give me any chance. I'll say, no, we should go back to school. You know, I mean, they're, 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 the, 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 the media is very much, it seems to me, in favor of keeping the schools closed. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist. It's just the best reporting by far is done by Education Week on this, that, that they feel like you're reading a legit attempt to get at it. But the point is, Roughly, it appears teachers are split. Okay, roughly. Um, so, so, so you have that. You have a split in both parents and teachers. Nobody is pulling the larger community, but I suspect you would find the larger community has the same thing. Because what do you say? Like, if you're somebody who says, "I don't want to die," it's hard for you know someone like me to say, "Well, you know, I don't want you to die either." But but then go do something else. However, it's very easy if I say, "Hey, I want school open." 
for somebody to look at me as my son did. Still annoyed at him about this. And I was saying, yeah, I want the schools to open. And he's like, you're the reason coronavirus is spreading. And I'm like, you know, I mean, what are you talking about? And and I'm like, how did I raise such a germaphobe? Um, I'm kidding. And Carrie, if you're listening, I'm kidding about it. He did say that, but I'm not. I'm not mad at him. My point is that there's a real split in this. Now, you're a district, okay? You're a district, and you're worried about, about three things. First, the primary um, uh, guidelines we're supposed to use are the CDC guidelines. The CDC guidelines are insane. Okay, there is no reasonable way you can follow the CDC guidelines and get schools open without a ton more money, a ton more teachers. Okay, okay. explain explain that briefly. What's wrong with the CDC guidelines? CDC guidelines says students have to be six feet apart. You cannot fit 30 kids in a classroom six feet apart. No, the buses. The buses have to be at 30% capacity. Everybody has to be gloved and masked. Oh, I see. Three seats apart, yeah. Yeah. Kids, kids have to be walking in one row and one way only. Uh, you know, they're, just, they're insane. Okay, now, they're the, completely unworkable. And, and the uh, American Associate of Pediatrics came out, and they said, basically, these are, un- these are unworkable. Here's our guidelines, and their guidelines said that nothing should get in the way of getting kids back in school. If you can't do six feet, do three feet. If you can't put, if you can't get kids on a bus because you need social distancing, don't social. I mean, they oh, basically okay. said. Who's saying this? I'm sorry. Who's saying this? American Association of Pediatrics have been pedi- okay, pediatricians. So the they're saying you can go back to school. Not only that they, they think- can, but it is best interest of the children's health to get back in school. That, okay. but, but the CDC's guidelines are unworkable. And so now you're looking at a district who's trying to look at the CDC guidelines, which they can't can't really legitimately maintain. They're looking at, the other thing they're looking at is a split population. So if they declare the schools open, they have a real risk that the parents who don't want to go back to school will pull their kid. Okay. And that, we don't know how that will affect funding right now because everybody's kind of, it's a wash, but eventually that will affect funding. They are, and this is my opinion now. I don't know this is fact. I've never heard it, but this is what I would be thinking of if I were a superintendent, which is I'm thinking the parents that want to go back to school won't pull their kids, right? You know what I mean? The, the, it, 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 they're going to hope that it's going to be open. They're looking at the lawsuits because right now, I remember back in March when Congress was talking about COVID, uh, COVID liability and saying we need to do an exemption. I was like, what a stupid thing. I'm now like, no, 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 I get it. I totally get it because they're worried about getting sued. Then keep in mind that like, for example, everybody says, well, private schools are opening. Sure, private schools are not legally required as a matter of congressional law to support special ed kids and disabled kids as a matter of free and appropriate public instruction. And therefore, what that means is if you've got a student who's got asthma and their doctor says they can't wear a mask, they don't have to wear a mask. If you've got students who say, no, I absolutely insist on being home, you have to insist on being, they, they have to instruct that. That's one of the reasons why schools are doing something that I think is completely unworkable is telling parents, hey, you guys can, um, I think Palo Alto in our district is doing this, in our area. Uh, if you want to go virtual, you can go virtual. If you want to go in person hybrid, if we're allowed to, you can go in person hybrid. And I'm looking at that going, are, are you, pl- you know, what are you planning on doing? Forcing teachers to go one way or the other? And maybe they're, they're, they're thinking that will work. So my point is, is again, I go back to 
when, when the reason I care that people are blaming unions is not because I defend unions. It's because I would like the problem fixed if it can be fixed. And it's not going to be fixed by blaming the union for holding this up. No, I think you just you just laid out so many different parameters, especially these issues about funding and enrollments and uh, the asymmetric reactions of people who do and do not want to go back to keeping it closed. The covering your ass uh, features of what a superintendent is going to want to do to not look bad. No, I mean, it's a really complicated thing. It would be overly simple by far to just, as it were, put it on the unions. And I think you make a strong case not to do that. But I'm worried about the kids. Uh, this looks like a tremendous hit. Let me let me them. go back to let me go. I completely agree. Again, you're talking to somebody who wants to go back. So here is my laid out plan. If you are, and I'm particularly talking now about the conservative media who seem to be the people by and large who are saying, and then I, and then the 50% of parents, give or take, who want the schools open. And um, Donald Trump. And Donald Trump. Donald Trump, if you're out there, if, if I won't get struck down by lightning for saying Donald Trump, listen to me, yes, and Betsy DeVos. Um, Donald Trump, and it, it, it's nerve-wracking to even say this, but but honest to God, and not politically, um, I he's right. You just need to open the schools. And what needs to happen, which won't happen, and, and, and the reason why it won't happen or instructive is Governed, there's the, in fact, the governor's closest we've come to ordering schools is, I think, Iowa ordered schools open and DeSantis came pretty close to ordering schools open. DeSantis's favorability took a hit because of that. Um, I mean, a big one. They were just talking about it the other day. Um, is I believe that if a governor says, look, the schools are going to open, there, we're going to try and be safe, but that's as good as it gets. And if you don't want to go back to school because you don't feel safe, parents, by all means, we're going to have to, you know, you can homeschool, you can find an online charter, you can go wherever you want. We're opening the school. Okay. And teachers. What did DeSantis, I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me, let me just, no, let me get this plan out. So the teachers, if you don't want to go back, you know, we might have jobs at district. There'll be some, some kids with disabilities will need a, we'll try and, and do it, but fundamentally we're going back. And to those people who want schools open, if you are like, well, no, no, I want parents to have a choice or, oh, no, 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 I want, um, I want, I want the social distancing. Then, then, then you're probably not ready for schools to be open. Cause I truly believe the only way we're going to be able to open schools is to say, uh, short of a vaccine is to say, we need to open the schools. The kids who can come can come. We're not going to, you know, if if somebody has COVID-19, we're going to send them home. We're going to, you know, do our best. We're not shutting down every time there's an outbreak. Okay, and Michelle, I, that, I just want to get a, do I, that. We're, we, there won't be that. Now I'll shut up. Sorry. <laughs> no, well, I mean, we can go back and forth, too. It doesn't have to just be. No, I just uh, what meant did, I wanted what to that do What did DeSantis do that you say his reputation took a hit for? I don't know what his reputation. I just know that DeSantis has uh, taken, they just talked about it recently. He was at like 60-30, and now he's at like uh, uh underwater approval and they but what had, did he do what what's his what what's his policy well DeSantis has from what I understand he has been consistently in favor of keeping the elderly and vulnerable safe and getting back out there but as you may know oh you're Florida, not, I'm not not schools in particular I know that he's opening uh trying to open oh, no, Florida no no DeSantis did say he wanted schools to open he's getting sued ironically he's getting sued by in this case I think it is a union 
he's getting sued for saying he wants the schools open. The Florida Education Union is is suing him to try and get the school shut. And well, now, a, how, how much of this? Come on, I mean, we all we're, we're grownups here, right? We're paying attention. This has been going on since the very beginning of the yes. COVID crisis. Shut down, open up, open up the economy, shut down. Uh, now, Trump has consistently been saying, "Open up, it's not going to be that bad. We got to get back to work. We can't let the cure be worse than the disease, et cetera, et cetera." And reflexively, maybe based on the evidence, and maybe just based on the the fact that they're against anything that Trump is for, a lot of people, usual suspects, have been saying, "Opening too fast, need to close down again, don't open up, et cetera." Uh, Paul Krugman will write columns saying, die for the Dow. That's one of the titles of his column, die for the Dow. Yeah. In other words, we're going to all kill each other because we're trying to do commerce again on behalf of a, a bunch of fat cats in New York City banks and stuff like that. So there's a deep politics that's that, that, that underlies this. And the thing that terrifies me is that, so these are the kids. I mean, we're talking about tens of millions of Americans Okay, and these yes. years are precious and irreplaceable. This is the developmental life cycle. You go from being ten years old to twelve years old, from being fourteen years old to sixteen years old. A whole lot of whole lot of stuff is going on in terms of you becoming a fully functioning human being. This is very, very fundamental. And we're gonna make policy on the basis of a kind of uh reaction, a kind of political reaction. In other words, if Trump is for it now. Any self-respecting Democratic governor has got to be against it. They, you know, so the the uh, taint of the partisan uh, conflict that's been going on since 2016 has now, with the opportunity that COVID has provided, uh, kind of uh, uh, is undermining our very basic institutions, including the capacity to educate our children. This is, am I overstating it? Do you think that's too much? Um, well, you're not overstating the damage to children. Let me tell you the part that I'm not certain of, so I'm going to throw out a hypothetical. Pretend that there was no political element and pretend we were still split. I think that's what would happen. Okay, in other words, leave out the fact that, you know, there, there probably are people, Trump says open the schools, media says no. You know, uh, that, that there, there's certain parents that the teachers unions would do that. Um, uh, let, let's throw all that out. Okay. And let's say that we are still split 50 50, roughly on whether or not, and, and not just on opening the schools. It's fundamentally about your attitude towards a, a disease like this. I mean, this goes back to, and many, many people have saying that the media go, cases are going up, cases are going up. Oh my God. You're like, well, are deaths going up? Well, it took a while, but deaths went up a little bit. Okay. But, but, but it's like, look, when we reopen, people might die of COVID-19. You know what? We're closed down and people are dying of, you know, and like, and, and that is a fun, that is the break right there. Okay. Because to people who feel that, that, um, no, that this, that this is unworkable, they're going to feel that's unworkable. So the issue you're saying is, well, they're feeling it's un, you're, you're suggesting is that they're feeling it's unworkable because Trump says it is workable. Okay. Then it might be something else. Um, the CDC, I believe there was this great example of, of, in the Bay area of about 16 years ago, a guy went on the Bay bridge and threatened to commit suicide and emergency services shut down the Bay bridge. Okay. In the, probably one of the most famously, 
difficult traffic places in, in the world or in the United States, the world yeah. where, where, where pikers closed yeah. down the bridge for somewhere. I can't remember the exact number, seven to 13 hours. Okay. Oh for gosh. one guy. I know yeah. I remember this story because I was at Berkeley at the time and I was actually driving home. And I'll never forget, I came over the hill and saw the pack thing, and I went, whoa, I got, I'm going home another way. Because it, it was like 12 o'clock in the afternoon. There was no way that was normal. People who drove by the guy when they finally opened one lane were screaming, jump! You know what I mean? They were like they were done. Oh, sure. Four, four to five, I agree. Four to five months later, the emergency services, I forget who it was, they came out and said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're sorry. The CDC needs to do that, too. The CDC is basically saying, look, it's our job to stop people from dying from COVID-19. It's like, yeah, but that's only one thing. You are the emergency services killing Bay Area traffic by, by stopping everything so this guy won't jump. You know, yeah, you it. need to get over it. And if they don't get over it and if, or if we, the people don't say, you know, that's enough or the, or the half of the people who flatly say it's enough, give or take. If we don't do that, if in, um, I think it was on what I've heard. I think it might be Noah Rothman from commentary. He said, people have to go riot on the streets. I'm not sure about rioting, but it, it, you know, you need to, you need to be active because right now the, the louder group. And again, I, I, I'm a teacher. The governor of my state says close down governor Newsom. If you're out there, I disagree with you. I'm not advocating one thing or another here. I'm just saying that the people who want schools open are going to need to a accept the COVID-19 cases will rise if schools open. And if they're willing to do that, and if they're willing to say, look, these CDC requirements are nonsense, they need to get out there and say so. And if they aren't willing to say those things, then what they need to understand is that schools should stay closed. And I'm... No, I I find this to be... This is so very interesting to me as a, you know, a social scientist, we try to think about you know, what would be a rational way of making public decisions when you have all kinds of competing equities, you know, cost benefit analysis within economic policy is the uh, most straightforward example of this, where you have a ledger, you have the cost on one side, the benefits on the other, you add it up, you look at the rate of return, you try to decide whether it's something to worth do. But here you're pitting life against life, risk against risk. You know, this question, this is a perfect metaphor for this, it seems to me, the suicidal uh, mentally disturbed person on the bridge <laughs> and, you know, 10 hours, uh, I mean, eight hours of sitting in traffic. I mean, yeah. hundreds of thousands of people that adds up to more than many lifetimes of actual <laughs> time. Wasted. So you kind of want to let them jump. Okay. But on the other hand, how do you tie your hands and say, I won't come to the aid, you know, a hiker who goes up the right. mountain and gets lost in the bad weather. And then do you go save them or not? People who go out on a dinghy and they can't get back in the storm. Do you let them drown this kind of thing? The kid at the bottom of the well, so many yes, lives have to be lost Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> going down to get the baby. So, so the rationality of our decision-making is at, is that issue. And and this idea that you can't, you can easily say safety, but you can't say sacrifice. You yeah. can easily say, I'm going to keep everybody safe. You can't say, I know we're going to lose lives, but I'm prepared to go ahead and do that. Now, a military commander in this conflict theater is basically saying exactly that. You yeah. know, you're going to lose yeah. lives, but you have to go ahead and do this thing. But we have a very hard time as a society saying that about a lot of different things. So I, I just find that to be very interesting. I think this is a case at hand where 
I'm not sure that we're anywhere close to making rational public decisions about what about what we're going to do. Well, now, and part of it is, um, uh, I always say, I don't know if you saw the movie Contagion, uh, which came I did out not. a few years. Okay, well, it's a story about a pandemic, and I'm like, okay, but COVID-19 isn't contagion, which basically turned your brain to jello and killed you in three or four days. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's part of the issue is that it is not, if this was something where 90% of the parents wanted to stay home, we wouldn't be having this discussion. It's precisely about people's attitude towards risk. And I mean, I know perfectly healthy people who are terrified of getting COVID-19. I had this um, I, I, and by the way, this is significant because if you ever see surveys, something like 80, 90 percent of Democrats say they wear masks. OK, I live in the bluest place in the world, except maybe Manhattan. OK, maybe Vermont. We're really blue here. I almost never take Uber. I was at a coffee shop. I'd walk there to get some jobs of like a three mile walk. I said, I'll take Uber back. Got Uber, had my mask. And I had a big stuff of, of, of groceries. And the guy, because of traffic, he stopped like in the middle of the street. And I'm like. Okay, I want to make sure I get this bag in because a cop might come and move along. So I hold my mask on my face with one thing, and I'm putting open the door, and he is screaming at me, get on your mask. I'm like, I've got my mask on. He goes, no, 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 it's not. I said, I got what he was saying. I said, okay, I'm just going to put this in the car. I will not get into the car until I have tied my mask on my face. He says, okay, keeps ranting at me just in general, and I'm listening to him. No, he's he's just out of his board angry. And wow. I was very proud that I did not get out of my board anger because I tend to, but I'm like, what? Well, he's ranting. I'm a ranter. Let's just let him go. So I got in the car and for 20 minutes on the drive home, this guy was telling me about all the people who refused to get put on a mask in his car. And literally the number of cases he counted up are probably more than the number of Republicans in the Bay area. Okay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like he was, he was just, he had, you know, and I mean, I could understand he's losing lives, right? Because it literally on Uber, it said, you will have to wear a mask and people refuse to wear masks. So it's not, a, that's what I mean. It's not politics. I do think politically it's dividing how people answer the question. I think debate of Huntington Beach down in, uh, in, uh, there's, there's, uh, they're refusing to wear masks and Huntington Beach is on the coast. And if there's a coastal California town that's Republican, let me know. Okay. I mean, yeah. it, again, we're not. And and so it, it's it's really more about people's attitude towards um uh towards towards this disease. You know, this like who gets flu shots? Do you get flu shots? I never get flu shots. You know I what get I mean? Flu shots. There you go. Um, well, like so, you know, I'm older than you are, Michelle. Not that much, but yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, you know, one of these days, I'm, I'll get a flu shot. <laughs> I got a bad flu a couple of years ago, three years ago, a really really bad flu uh and i thought i was dying i don't i don't think literally that i was dying but i mean it was 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 awful it was awful it went on for a long time like for a a week uh, that when i was really 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 sick and and by the way that i'm not taking any chances no i'm not and i'm not mocking you for doing so my point is is that that feeling is what the people who don't want schools to open you know, that's what they're afraid of. And I am not, and I want to be clear, I don't get that feeling, but I'm not mocking it. I'm just saying that that is a tension. And to make it about unions or to make it about Trump is just missing the point. Okay. It's really missing the point. Now, I will say that in prior pandemics, the, I mean, people have done studies. We lost a lot more people in the Hong Kong flu and it never made the front 
page and we didn't close down schools. There were massive times. When, I mean, I'm not saying we never closed down the schools. Okay. I mean, you want to be careful now when you say we lost a lot more people. You mean teachers uh, during the course of the uh, Hong Kong. You don't mean the total mortality for the country or do you? Is, I thought is, I read. I thought I read that at the time. Don't don't quote me on this. The, the point is the Hong Kong flu. Let me put it this way: We lost more people in the Hong Kong flu before we had lost from COVID when we shut down the country. Okay, and at the Hong Kong flu never made it that far. And I, I'm not arguing. I'm just saying polio. There were times. I mean, there are many kids who caught polio, and you know were were crippled, and yet. I'm not saying we never closed down schools. I'm just saying that our, our, our attitude towards safety in the past is different today. Now, if there's one thing I do wonder, I seriously wonder when you talk about the politics, um, I was really amazed in March when we closed down schools. I mean, truly, truly amazed. I don't, I didn't see it worth it then, um, with the exception of New York City. And I don't understand why we did it. I never have. And I think if we had not closed down the schools, then we would be much more, uh, we would, you know, we would be having a more rational conversation now about it. I'm not, you know what I'm saying? We, we would have, we would have, if we'd finished out the year. So all I'm trying to say is, yeah, this is not, I mean, if you want to have an argument about unions and whether or not they should be involved in it at all, you're not going to have me taking the pro side. I truly am upset at that unions are taking an, an a, a point in this union should be saying, look, we will defer to what the community wants to do. If our, if our teachers are at risk, we, we want, we want to support, you know, get them a, a job or get them disability retirement. I think they should be doing that. I am not advocating for what the unions are doing at all. I am merely saying that unions themselves could not be doing what's happening here. Like Fairfax, Virginia, just which they were, they never gave, they never gave their parents the option for fully open. They said you can go fully remote or hybrid. If they didn't answer, they were put into hybrid. And then last week, they just up and switched and said, we're not, we're not going to do it. And okay, I, I, I got a, a kind of final topic for, for you, which okay. is, which is accountability. I want to know with metrics what the loss is incurred that we're going to incur in terms of the learning of students as a result of, of these arrangements. Are exams being given? Are people being monitored? I mean, uh, are kids being tested? I, I, if you don't believe that testing is the way to do accountability, tell me what another way is to do it. But I'm just, I mean, for example, attendance. Let's just be something that's very basic. If I've got distance learning, what's the attendance rate? What's the accountability for people who are not Present. Are we having synchronous classes where people are supposed to log on at a certain time, et cetera? And, and if the learning is not happening, I mean, can't, we need to know that. If, if the consequence of shutting down is that kids are really going to fall a year behind in uh, whatever it is, math or science or uh, whatever, social studies, then, then we, we, we need to know. So is anybody thinking about that? Or, yeah, you know, well, uh, okay, here I can give you some, some direct feedback. And, uh, because I'm teaching summer school. So summer school, unlike last year, summer school are, is graded, okay? And, um, and, and students have to attend a class. Uh, I was fairly on the uh, uh, lighter side of that. If I, you know, if the students said they had trouble getting on in Zoom, I would say, okay, and I'd mark them here. But we are taking attendance, and we are giving tests. 
it's a real, there's, there's a cheating issue with tests. In fact, one of the reasons that, that, that there was, um, that hold harmless came around last year was, which was saying basically we're not going to give a kid grade lower is fundamentally because there were so many teachers talking about the cheating that was going on. I, I don't, I tried to do stuff to do, uh, for example, I give tests. You have to be on zoom. I have to be able to see you. Um, and that, that was, that gave me a better sense of what's going on, but I still found kids who, when I worked with one-on-one, I'm like, you don't know this at all. And I just gave you an A on the last quiz, which means, you know, it, it tends to mean they cheated. So the, the real issue is twofold. First, again, don't look at, I shouldn't say, we will take attendance. I don't know what we're going to do about kids who don't show up. Okay, that's an issue. For example, there are men, there are districts who are reserving their on-presence learning with volunteer teachers, which I would certainly volunteer for if my if my district does it. For the kids who didn't show up last year, they're basically identifying who are kids who flat out never showed up last year. We're giving them the option of coming back to school because, in other words, they are trying to get the kids who are showing that for whatever reason I don't want to participate. They're, those are the ones they're they're saying we're going to take our resources that we have for on for in presence instruction and put it on those kids. So schools and districts are absolutely trying to reach the kids who are not coming on their own. There's no question about that. Whether they will or not is a different issue. Um, in terms of how much are learning, I can tell you that kids are learning. Um, I'm teaching algebra one but you are dramatically reduced in what you can do. There is a tremendous inability. Like I, like one, like I normally don't give homework and I don't, I, I just walk around the room and see how kids are doing so I can work one-on-one. I just had this mild fit with my students the other day and saying, you guys need to turn in your classwork and it needs to be done so that I can see if you're learning. You know, I mean, I need it. I, I told them, and they go, like, you don't really do homework? I said, not normally, but I need it here. I'm not grading you on it. I don't care if you turn it in late, but I need to see, do you understand this or not? Because that whole thing is lost, okay? I hear that there are unions and, and districts where the teachers are refusing to do synchronous instruction. I think that's insane. However, the idea of putting a kid, like, so what I do is I do about an hour, hour and a half of teaching, and then I say, now here's your assignment. Now, the class, for a summer school class, is two and a half hours, right? So you're like, well, you're working less time. It's like, well, I'm spending more time looking at class. Why should they, re- why should they refuse to do the synchronous instruction? Why? I don't know, and I, I, I don't know, and that would be, if, if unions are doing that, then that is, again, something that governors should flatly re- refuse. They should say no. There's got to be somebody ordering teachers to do this. However, I will say this. The teachers that are not doing it are probably not doing it for a reason. I don't know what it is, but I, I don't think teachers would refuse without a reason. I just, you know, it tends to be something that's happening in lower-income districts. It may be that... Kids just aren't paying attention. I don't know. I'm not trying to blame the kids. I'm just saying it seems to me an unusual thing to resist. Uh, and that was last year. But remember, last year, my school, my district said no, no synchronous re- instruction required. Every teacher I know did synchronous instruction. You know, I mean, every teacher I know was on Zoom. So you can't say what the district says as indicator of what is actually happening. So is learning now you asked, should we be testing? I have two answers to that. The first is, yes, I'm fully in favor of tests. I think it's dumb not to see. Second thing is that the public at large puts too much faith in tests. Um, kids will learn 
you, you know, it's the learning is the least of my concerns. Okay. What's much more my concern is the notion of sitting down, learning how to focus on something, whether or not you actually demonstrate, you know, increased math or English skills is nice. But the most important thing is, are you sitting there? Are you writing? Are you learning? Right. Are you, you know what I mean? Are you, fo- that, that is what we need. And that is what's being lost. I have a kid uh, last wow. year. He, he was very bright and didn't, didn't show up much in my class. And he goes, you know, the thing I just learned, he goes, School's the reason I learn anything. And I laughed. I, I said, you mean, he goes, I had to get up. I had to go in. When, I okay. mean, the number of kids who were telling me they woke up at two o'clock in the afternoon was wow. a significant chunk. They're depressed. They're bored. That, yeah. you know, they're not getting And we can't do that online. Oh, this is so important because you're saying there's a cognitive, but there's also a behavioral dimension to what's going on uh, with schooling. You're teaching them how to solve uh, math problems or how to read and uh, read and write, but you're also teaching them how to be still, uh, how to be disciplined, how to, how to conform to some uh, habits of conduct that are going to serve them throughout their lives. So, can I, uh, e- can I just e- add to that though? It's also e- cognitive just to learn how to solve. You know, in other words, there's a cognitive element. I don't want to make it all about conformity and behavior. In other words. Like, literally, if you sit down and look at a math problem and go, hey, I don't know how to do this. Raise your hand. I come over. I explain it to you. You get a little better at it. Even if you're not an expert at the end of that process, there was something cognitive going on that might not be captured in tests, but is nonetheless a cognitive exercise that is not happening if a kid just doesn't bother at home or looks at it and says, I'm done and, and waits till the next day. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to get at. Now, my big uh, concern here is the inequality because in effect there's a lot of homeschooling that is that is ha- being in effect demanded because the kid is sitting in the study or yeah. in the kitchen or whatever and uh the the parents are going to differ with respect to their inclination and and their capacity to to play this kind of complementary role uh and the kids are going to differ with respect to their own predisposition. So uh, some kind of uh, tick in the behavior of a kid, you know, ADHD or something like that a little bit uh, is now going to get magnified in terms of its implications for the kids learning because there's no kind of feedback and regulation that goes on. A lot of weight falls on parents. Um, And I worry too that, that you don't, I mean, doesn't uh, uh, the uh, uh, kind of, uh, I said homeschooling, but I also mean other innovative ways of doing education. So I'm thinking about this in terms of higher education. I'm thinking if we could do all our classes online, I don't see any reason why I can't teach 500,000 kids yeah. instead of 500. I don't see yes. why I can't teach 500,000. In which case, if I'm a better lecturer and a more knowledgeable and compelling professor, I don't see why everybody is not studying with me on the subject that I'm teaching about, which kind of undermines the whole business model of the college. And it becomes much more about the the man or the woman who's projecting the, you know, the uh, online uh, platform. Can I just be, just jump in? It's like, and every time somebody says, Hey, great idea. Let's do online courses. They fail miserably because it turns out that getting your butt into the classroom to listen to the lecture has a lot to do with your ability to succeed in the class. I mean, look at Coursera, look at the MOOC craze for a while. All of that went away 
Okay. And, and okay. so, so maybe, maybe when you're forced to do it, it makes a difference because all of those other things were, there was no grade at the end. Okay. But now you tell me about your ability to grade people. Okay. Um, on, on stuff and you're teaching higher level stuff, I'm sure. But at my level, I, you know, part of what I do is, is look at how kids are doing. The test should not come as a surprise to me. You know what I'm saying? It's because I'm looking at them all along. When you've yeah. taken that away, how do you know cheating isn't happening? And, and yeah. that is a, a issue. Yeah, I think that's another good point. Listen, uh, I think I need to call it a day here, Michelle, and uh, you're up early out there on the West Coast. Thank you. Bless you. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, my Michelle pleasure. Michelle Kerr, uh, high school math teacher, East Bay, California. Uh, welcome back to the Glenn Show. We have to talk again sometime. Yeah. Can I just say one last thing? Um, I'm one glad you're okay. Thing. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm glad you're okay. And to everybody out there, understand that these differences are more about our own internal values as opposed to somebody wanting you dead one way or another. You know, just kind of keep that in mind as we talk about these. And it was We're great having We're not trying to kill you. We're not trying to kill you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Michelle. Uh-huh. Bye-bye.